I almost feel that as a society we are becoming afraid to stand up for what's right and to stand up for another human being. And we have communities out there that know that this is going on. The impact of human trafficking can last a lifetime. To explore this some more, I was able to sit down with thought leaders and experts on the effects of human trafficking and what society can begin to do to mend from it. Tabitha Lage, founder of Hope Prison Foundation, Wendy McKillop, BA in Health Sciences and Social Services, and Natasha Foster, social worker, made up this conversation. What have been the um, most important things that you've learned in your job and what you do? I think the most important things I've learned is just how marginalized some people are and how um, how many people are exposed to abuse and trauma and just not just in trafficking, but the victimization process in particular, just picking up on where people come from, how they get caught up in it and then how they survive. Um, afterwards, I think just seeing that it's important to actually go into those, those things that make them vulnerable. They are a very vulnerable population and um, those who do get trafficked. And I think in counseling them, and um, we have to look into those things and do more preventative measures, you know, take part in, in things that would actually help stop them from getting in, involved and, and victimized. Wendy, tell us exactly what you do on a day-to-day basis. Okay, on a day-to-day basis, um, I head up the department on sex trafficking and working with women wanting to leave prostitution where there's sexual exploitation. And then I also coordinate the um, restoration program for victims of human trafficking, victims of sexual exploitation, and we'll be stretching it out to uh, victims of domestic and sexual abuse and also rape victims. Ladies, and this includes you, Tabitha, what is the one hardest thing in your jobs that you have to deal with every single day? The hardest thing on a personal level and a professional level, what is the hardest thing that you have to deal with on a daily basis? I think for me, the hardest thing is, um, is, is, is coming to that constant realization that what, what human trafficking is, is the buying and selling of human beings. We as human beings think it's okay to exploit another human being, whether that be a child, um, a female or a male, we think that there is nothing wrong with that. And I think for me, that is probably one of the hardest things every day that we, to generalize it, have to actually fight every single day and come to terms with. Um, we, we often say, how do people sleep at night who do these things? Correct. How do they live a normal life? There are evil people out there. There are monsters out there and our kids are not safe in any spaces anymore. And, and let me tell you something. We, and when we have just dealt with something that we think cannot get any worse. Correct. Surely not. Along comes something that it just actually you cannot comprehend that we can get down to that sort of level and do these sort of things. Wendy? Personally, the hardest thing, in addition to what Tabitha said, is um, being able to see perpetrators as human beings. 
very often facts have shown that perpetrators are very often victims as well. It's a cycle, correct, yes. Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, Abusers, ab- yes, yes. yes. Yeah, is that, that the truth? Um, is that real? Most is that of the time it is, yes. Yeah. And um, it's mm. very difficult when you see what they do to actually be able to feel for them and realize that um, they too have been a victim at some Hurt stage. people hurt people. Yes. Mm. Uh, Nastasha? I think that comes through in the counseling as well. I think the hardest reality is just that um, these people face so much trauma over and over again based on that exploitation and they're based on the on the hurt that these perpetrators have experienced themselves but the the hurt that they put on these women in particular working with the the um sex trafficking i think they just go through trauma after trauma after trauma and um they just you know they're used because their bodies can be used time and time again it's not like a drug they can just be used one. So the reality is that they are really broken down and that's obviously where the addiction comes in, the dissociative disorders come in, the the brokenness comes in because they just can't cope with reality. Naturally with that, um the the drug addiction just spirals out of control because they can't cope with life on life's terms. They can't face reality. So seeing women in such trauma, post-traumatic stress really when they get to us is just horrific. It's just unbearable. Um, and, and they have a lot of flashbacks. So they're very, very hypervigilant. And, um, I think that that just breaks my heart. Before I want us to focus this, the, the topic for today, and I just want us um, to touch bases on the societal, the health and economic impact of trafficking and the effects um, of that on the victim. I think that's so important. Um, but before that, just in conversation, how do you turn off from this? Hmm. For you hmm. to come back to work the next day, how does your family live and love what you do because I can tell, and it's the same for me, when you're in something like this and so dark mm-hmm. like this, there has to be a mechanism whereby you have to get out of it and detach yourself and just be you and you and you and your family and normality. Mm-hmm. So before, that's more a Hubi question, mm-hmm. because I have to know that, because that's a, it's a mechanism of survival mm-hmm. and being able to do what you do with the same um, efficiency and effectiveness and spirit and heart and mind and soul. Mm-hmm. So, a, no, it's a good, it's a, it's a good question. And um, I like to call it, it's a, it's a form of benevolent detachment rather than an unhealthy form of disassociation because the reality is is that we we deal with what we deal with but we have to learn to every single day we have to learn to surrender what we've experienced in that day and what we're dealing with and surrender it because if we don't we carry that even on a physical level, never mind an emotional and a mental level. Mm. And so we, we have to, we have to be very healthy in that and we have to look at putting measures in place, which is what we do as a foundation. Um, we have to debrief. We have to we seek, have to. um, mm. trauma counseling for ourselves. It is very, very important. Uh, we have to look at ways to completely shut off on weekends and, and to also know that it's okay for us to look after ourselves mm. and for us to have fun. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a big one because very often people tend to think that we actually, how, how can we even think of having fun? Because what's happy of, to you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, we, we are, um, incredibly blessed to also have a team where we are very strong and we're very grounded and we've been working together for years. Um, and so we know each other quite well. And so we can also pick up and identify if something is off, something's not right. Maybe it's time out for a few days. But, um, I think the important thing is just to know that we cannot carry that burden ourselves personally mm. every single day. We have to surrender that. And I call that benevolent detachment. Wendy. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, also, as an organization, we very much like a family. Um, Monday to Friday, you know, we, we comfortable enough to talk to one another and to be vulnerable enough to say, it's I'm too much. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. even though we do have absolutely. formal debriefing, mm. we have a very casual everyday debriefing as well. And I think also um, with our restoration, we are a multidisciplinary team. Mm. So it's not people only involved in the organization. There's other organizations, other people involved. Uh, but we've got a friendship, a special friendship mm. where um, we're comfortable to be vulnerable with one another too ask for help to, you know, share what is concerning us. And as Tabitha said, it's a decision we make at the end of the day. It's almost as if we train ourselves to understand that by thinking about it all weekend, all night, you're not going to actually... You'll be no good, actually. It's no good, and you'll actually make yourself ill so that you cannot help the people you're needing to help. So it's a choice. You've got to look at the bigger picture. What do you need to stay healthy enough to be able to help your survivors? Mm, I think it's really got to do with the strong social support networks because there's so many different things that we put in to invest in other people and to combat this social epidemic. But if we're not plugged into the right kind of networks and support socially, yeah, we don't have those, we don't have those um, relationships. I think we can try and do it in isolation and just keep fighting, keep pushing, keep thriving and then you crash and you don't know what happened because it just gets too much eventually so I think just as Wendy was saying we have to have that community of support and that social interaction for other people to pick up where there are these cues that things aren't going too well or that you know something's wrong and that fun element that balance in life the spiritual growth the personal development tapping into different systems for different things it's important i think to keep that balance special human beings ladies (laughs) few people can do what you do so let's just Tackle a couple of headlines that I read and I want us to kind of, especially Wendy and Nastasha, I really want us to unpack as much or as, as little as you want about the economic impact of that headline on both sides, the health, the societal, and if we can really see what kind of effect it will have on the victim. Number one, largest child pornography bust in history ignored by mainstream media. Thoughts? I think very often it depends on which form of media there is. There are a lot of people who, with it, a child porn bust. For a lot of people, it's it's actually okay to watch porn. They think they're not actually being a physical 
a realistic perpetrator. Correct. So they think it's okay to watch porn. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, very often, because that person who has been caught in child porn isn't actually physically harming a child, they think it's okay. So they Mm -hmm. don't see the seriousness Mm -hmm. of how very often that child porn can turn into pedophilia. Correct. Which is child rape. And I think it's sometimes ignorance or else they don't see the seriousness of it. What do you think, Natasha? I also think a lot of the time perpetrators in that realm present a lot of antisocial behaviors and dissociative behavior because they're not coping with their own realm in a very healthy way. A lot of them actually talk about the fact that they are having relationship concerns, sometimes Perpetrators of that sort of nature, especially just with pornography and not necessarily trafficking all the way, they, they're battling with their own demons. There's stuff that they don't want to deal with that they're trying to avoid. And so I think that reality needs to be dealt with a little bit more effectively. They're not doing it because they just want to. It's actually fulfilling a need and there's a void within themselves that they need to, to get to. Next headline. Horror as missing girl found dead with internal organs removed. Is that part and parcel of human trafficking, that kind of? It could be. One of the aspects of human trafficking is for body parts. Correct. Organ trafficking. Yeah. So usually, not always, it's to do with muti and witchcraft and not all the sangomas, but there are some of them who actually use it for fertility and whichever parts of organs are used for various reasons. So it can definitely be part of human trafficking. And that is sometimes why vulnerable people are actually susceptible susceptible to that. Yeah, The parents may get paid or you could be trafficked by a sibling or a A husband. husband. That's another headline. A husband in India. This this was the article. I shouldn't have unpacked it. It was trafficking in impunity. No charges because it was the husband who did that for her. You know, to her rather. Nastash, what do you have to say about that? I think that's a scary reality that people close to you, loved ones, can do that. They can go that far to make money, but that's just, it just shows that anything to do with trafficking is always to do with a vulnerable population. So when there's a need for finance and there's a low socioeconomic okay. status, you've okay. got thriving arena for trafficking so it's it's really really a risk factor and the perpetrators always have to or always seem to be in the in the news what i find is that sometimes they can be completely untouchable they're protected they've got power they've got influence and obviously they've got fear factor in that society Mm. you know Mm. nobody wants to do that and they know who it is let's talk about that i think there's definitely a fear factor in it because The organized crime syndicates are so interlinked and I can go to person A who might be a recruiter or somebody working in the whole cycle of trafficking who would then report it and people know people. Correct. And unfortunately, sometimes those who should be protecting us are actually adding to the problem and enabling it to continue. If you think about the stat that this is a multi-billion industry, I mean, you think of that alone, you're thinking on the lines of organized crime, 
of syndicates that are operating. And very often what we see on the ground happening in terms of a trafficking situation is not the person at the top. The person at the top could actually be sitting in Europe somewhere, and yet it's happening right here in Joburg. So it is not just a local problem. It is an international problem as well. And we have to think like that. We have to think globally too if we're going to fight human trafficking in South Africa. I hear that. I hear that. Let's talk about the effects of human trafficking for the victim in these next couple of headlines. Three charged for trafficking mentally disabled girl of 30. What does that do to that little girl? I think it's such a hard sore reality because this girl has now entered into a realm that she's developed so many difficulties in just dealing with life and so her mental health is not where it should be. She's dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress and she's probably by that stage very anxious, very depressed and really, really just battling to face herself. Wendy, let's discuss this headline and about the effects and what does that say about that specific society? Rape has been declared a national emergency in Sierra Leone. I think for rape to be declared a national emergency, I'm taking it as sort of the act of rape is being looked at seriously now. Uh, which, a horrific, um, brutal yeah. uh, yes. sexual crime with minors. Yes. With minors. Okay, yes. Yeah. Now, Rape very often is overlooked. Again, they'll find a reason for blaming the victim, the way she dresses, the way she carries herself. She asked for it. It's her fault. But too often people don't realize that no is no. And I think too often women are the ones who are made to feel guilty of being a victim, whereas a guy... you. Not always, but often a man gets a notch in the belt for being able to rape a girl, whereas the girl is the one who actually is um, re-victimized by society, by the media sometimes, by police, unfortunately, sometimes when they go and report it, and also, unfortunately, by some by families, by parents. What did you do to make him do that? Why did he do it? You know, you must have done something to make him want to rape you. So mm. I think rape isn't... The psychology yes, behind... The whole psychology behind it. It's okay. And women are objectified already just by the act of rape. Not that it's any less serious than what happens in trafficking, but rape is involved in trafficking. And I think... It's maybe look being a little too optimistic, but I guess we could be optimistic in saying if they can see rape as being a serious thing, then hopefully they'll educate themselves enough to actually see human trafficking as seriously. Last two questions, ladies. How sex traffickers use black magic for migrants into prostitution? Have we heard about that? I mean, do you know that this is going on in our African countries? I think, and what does that say about Africa? Yeah, I think there's a lot of cultural aspects that we have to keep in mind. Absolutely. We, we are a very diverse nation and there's a lot of religious and cultural aspects that come into play, but the power and the, the darkness and the, the spiritual input there, I think is something to consider. I think a lot of people do get caught up in using 
this kind of black magic and using mutis because there's a power attached to it. And so anything that can be used will be used and especially where it's for exploitation. I think we've got to be very aware of the fact that that's happening everywhere around us and we've got to be willing to have those discussions with people too so they can look for cues and red flags and, and pick up on, on what's actually happening. In this case, what are the effects of human trafficking for the traffickers? I think in terms of the traffickers themselves, they just dissociate more and more. They become more and more hardened to these crimes. They don't really see the intensity or the nature of the things that they're doing. And I, I think it's that cycle just repeating itself of looking at as a product and as lucrative product. And so it's all about creating an income and an empire to, to feed and an empire itself. it is. Last headline, and that's for you, Wendy. New York passes Child Victims Act, allowing survivors to sue their abusers. What do you think about that? I think that's great. As it is, child's got to be sort of 15, 16 for them to be able to give consent to have sex or for rapists. Mm -hmm. They will go after a child who's just of age where they actually can't be accused of statutory rape. Mm -hmm. So I think also what happens is with a, a victim, very often they don't know their rights, that you have a right. Even as a child, you can go to child court, you can go to an organization who is, you know, helping women and children. And children have a right to actually go and lay charges. Very often, unfortunately, it's family members or people who are close to the child victim. So in a sense, they feel disloyal to that family member, so they'll rather keep it quiet. Mm. And unfortunately, not only with them not you know, taking them to court and realizing they can do that. Not only does the perpetrator continue to walk free, mm. very possibly committing more of course, crimes, of course, but also very often, even if the mother or the family are aware of the child being a victim, with it not being treated at a young age, can develop into all kinds of psychiatric problems. But there is an epilepsy that can develop. Mm. You know, as a result of undealt with trauma. All sorts of disorders. And, um, mm -hmm. yes, and dissociative disorders and that which just become worse and worse and worse to the point where a child, a woman can eventually find herself being schizophrenic or mm -hmm. multiple personality bipolar. disorders, bipolar, all as a result of undealt with and unresolved trauma as a child because it's, we don't talk outside of the house. This is for you, Tabitha. And I see some of your flies here from the Hope Risen Foundation, and I, and I think um, you'd be the perfect person to tell us your thoughts about the statement. Sex trafficking won't stop until prostitution and porn stops. Women and girls are not sex slaves for men. Sex is not a human right. Come on, <sighs> that's powerful. Hey. Did you like that? Come on. Love that. That's what, that is. The, is that my quote of the that day? Is, that is it. And, and, and Tell that, us what your thoughts that is about needs that. to be said a lot more. And I love the way it gives a clear 
I don't want to say definition, but explanation. And, and, and it speaks the heartbeat also of this foundation because that is it. Um, when we talk about prostitution and we talk about pornography, we are talking about roots of sex trafficking. When we engage in anti-sex um, trafficking, we're not just engaging in just sex trafficking. We've got prostitution and pornography that we have to look at because they are so intertwined. And I don't believe that we should just be looking at one thing. We've got to look at it all together because it's fueling each other. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about rape earlier on. Rape today is not rape what it was. It is becoming a lot more violent. Brutal. Why? Why is it becoming so violent? Because we are engaging in pornography that is so violent. And we are expecting women to in enact those fantasies. Fantasies. Mm. And, Correct. And, and we are Correct. thinking when we are watching this that it is okay and that's normal, Correct. especially for these young children. Mm. We go into schools and what we are faced with in the schools is heartbreaking because their version of love is totally distorted. Their version of healthy sex or purity, if you'd like to talk about it, is totally distorted. And that is because there is pornography is so freely available. And I mean, we run a workshop just on the harmful effects of pornography on your brain. Never mind the harmful effects of pornography in general. What it does to you from a chemical level. So when we talk about these kinds of things and we have that impactful statement, that is powerful and that is the truth. That is the truth. Let's talk about hope. We have to have closure and positive closure after having hard conversations Mm. because that motivates us that we can be part of that change and it is in our hands and that we're not alone. Positivity, awareness, voices, your thoughts. I throw it up to the floor. Okay, I'll start. I would say... Three things. One, be brave enough to get involved. Find out more about what we're doing and how you can get involved in playing a huge part. The other one, make sure not to become so desensitized because of so often that we hear about these things that it's just one of those things. And then also Mother Teresa had a quote that said, there are many things you can do that I can't do. There's many things I can do that you can't do but together we can do a lot and you know we're not all purposed to do what we're doing correct but by you just being aware of your community women who are struggling engage with people become human you know there's too much technology speak to people and find out who they are where they are how are they and then get involved I think it's so key that people would be willing to educate themselves. And if they'd continue along those lines of just empowerment, empowering themselves, empowering others through education, I think that could be a game changer in all of this. I think if um, we are to look at the protective factors in terms of trafficking, human trafficking, we'd have to look at the reality that mental and emotional health is key. It's a really, really key area to invest in. So if you or someone else listening is subject to bad ill health, to really invest in that and to go see someone, to to really talk through stuff and get help because that is 
a key area of where, you know, you, you can become victimized, where there are issues and where you experience problems to reach out and to have those strong social support networks, to develop a bit of family stability, to have a friendship support system, to have the fun, to have those different things in life that can actually add value and contribute to your personal happiness. I think looking at those protective factors are really, really instrumental to not being victimized in human trafficking. I want to almost say, let's stop being so desensitized to doing what's right. Let's stop being so desensitized to justice. I almost feel that as a society, we are becoming afraid to stand up for what's right and to stand up for another human being. And we have communities out there that know that this is going on. Absolutely. And, and I want to encourage these communities that you've got to use your voice. We have a voice and that is the most powerful thing that we can use. Every single one of us have a voice. We can ask ourselves, well, how can I specifically personally use my voice in this part? There is hope. And every day there are examples of hope and love conquering in all circumstances. Nobody should be allowed to be labeled with a price tag. Everybody has a right to freedom. This is Humans for Sale, a six-part podcast series with Hope Risen Foundation brought to you by Pemban.